Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. The light bulb broke. Oh, I love technicalities. I love it. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Today we are in Yochanan Olive, 1 John chapter 4. But before we get into the text, we do have an announcement. Registration for Sukkot has ended. Finito. Done. Correct? Registration for Sukkot is over this year. That's not just the Sukkot in Oregon, but the Sukkot in I believe um, the other states as well. So, wonderful. Yochanan Aleph, 1 John. We're in chapter 4 today. Now, before we get into the text, I want to just take a little moment and try and back us out to give us this big, broad, brushstrokes perspective. Because it's very easy to lose perspective. Because I love the word of Yahuwah. Because it's alive. I mean, it is alive and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And you can speak it into people's lives and you can literally see it pierce through the flesh, the very flesh, and cut asunder. And I hope that we can see that and do that today. But I want us to remember the context of what's going on in Yochanan Olive in 1 John. In fact, the context of what was going on during the epistle of Yaakov, James, that we recently studied. And we've also spent some time in Ivrim, the book of Hebrews. And all of these texts were building with a communique right before the destruction of the temple in 70 of the Common Era. And I don't want us to forget that context because that relates to us today. And I'm going to use the N-word now, and people might get offended. And that is nationalism. It's like the modern-day N-word, isn't it? You can't say that. That's racist. Because we live in a liberal society of globalism. And we have to understand that when the Romans were coming down upon Jerusalem, that was globalism. They had a globalistic agenda. And the ones that were the followers of Yahusha, the Malkitzedic, were they globalists or were they nationalists? They were a nationalist movement that was disciplined, discipled, and trained in the very, very word of Yahweh, that it was their sword. It was sharper than a two-edged sword. So what was happening in the context of before the first century, around 70 of the Common Era, I believe has been transposed to this very last generation today. We, believers in Yahusha, we are the nationalists. And we are fighting, literally, against a globalist agenda. And yes, it's birthed in Rome. It's financed by the Bank of England. And we see the policies of the New World Order and their army going out from Washington, D.C. And ultimately, will all end up in the Zionist state of Israel. But I'm mentioning this because it's becoming more and more apparent to me. As the communication comes out from this ministry and other ministries exposing this globalistic agenda through the various arms, it's so easy for these messianic talking heads to pop up and come and prop up the latest propaganda 
and it exposes their globalistic position. Because what you'll see, there's been 50 years of very well-documented research on the Khazars, and that the Ashkenazi, in fact, the Bible tells you, are sons of Gomer, sons of Japheth. Very well documented for over 50 years, various sources, huge sources of reference that all of you can look into. But you know what's really bad? When one of your own betrays you, when one of your own betrays you, it kind of takes you by shock and it takes some time for you to regain your footing and then come back with a counterattack. Well, recently, because Shlomo Sand, one of the Zionists, the Ashkenazi's own, came out several years ago and further documented and exposed that the Jews are actually the Khazars, it's taken some years for them to regain their composure, the Zionists, the Illuminati, and come back with their propaganda that... Now this individual has come out with his opinion that, no, really, the Khazars, you know, this is made up. That's one person's opinion. But it is disconcerting to me that automatically, and this ex exposes their globalistic agenda, the messianic talking heads just launch and jump onto the Ashkenazi, Zionist, Khazar propaganda automatically. Well, look, see, and try to debunk 50 years' worth of well-documented research based upon one obvious Ashkenazi Zionist's opinion. It exposes their position, and it exposes not only what we're dealing with is nationalism against globalism, and it has infiltrated our ranks, and the Messianic movement, the Hebrew Roots movement, has shown that its agenda is a globalistic Zionist agenda. And that's why this message is so important. It's so important that we understand that, no, we're not fighting with the Romans. But yes, in fact, we are fighting with the Romans. It's not 70 of the common era, but in reality... It is 70 of the common era, if you can understand the times and seasons that we live in. Because there is a globalistic army that is coming down upon the house of Israel. And the followers of Yahusha are standing fast and exposing the globalistic agenda for what it is. They're holding on to the word of Yahuwah. They're holding on to nationalism. And you guess what? The propaganda machine of the Roman onslaught it pops up, and now we can see how it has infiltrated our very faith within the Hebrew roots, the Messianic movement. Christian Zionists, they've been sold out for 100 years to the globalist agenda without even knowing it based upon naivety. This is what we're dealing with today. But they've shown their hand. They show their hand by the propaganda that they support. We need to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves in this day and age. We're coming up to the elections. And you're, again, you're seeing this dichotomy of nationalism and globalism, right? You're seeing again that the globalists are going to use any technique to try and divide us. Racism. Economic hardships, 
political instability. These are all techniques that the Romans used back during the time when they were coming down on the nationalists then. And the sideline that Yochanan Aleph bringing us into our text that he was dealing with in the midst of all of this was, guess what? Yochanan, John, James, Yahushua's, their teaching it had been around for years. Let's listen to something new. What's the latest? We need something new. How about docetism? Something exciting, hyper-spiritual. Yahushua was really, he was really a phantom. Oh, wow. Let's look into the paleo on that. Oh, well, Yahushua was a, he wasn't really human. He was just a phantom. In fact, you know Simus of Cyrene, when he picked up the crossbeam, actually the Moshiach essence transcended to him. And he was the one that was crucified on the tree. And he looked like Yahushua, but it really wasn't Yahushua. This is the teaching. This is the new, hot, exciting teaching that we need to get into. And you know what? Yochanan is addressing that because we are finding right now that people are always looking for the next esoteric, super exciting, hot teacher. Oh my goodness, look at this. Oh, this is it. This is it. But we are literally climbing a mountain like Moshe Rabbeinu. And if you continue just to plod along, slow and methodical, one foot in step with the other. Eventually, guess what? You'll find there's not so many people walking with you. The slow and methodical way is line by line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Oh, there come up with docetism. Phantasmal new teaching. Phantasmal this. And I understand that yes, I have been spending a couple of years building a foundation on the Malkitzedic priesthood. But this is the line upon line that is equipping us so that we don't get caught up into the phantasmal. So that we can see the fake when it comes along because we've spent the time on the true gem. And I see less people climbing the mountain. And eventually you'll be like Moshe Rabbeinu and you'll be at the top and you'll be all alone. In my 20s, every weekend I would climb in the Alpine mountains. And you would look and you would see the mountain, you know, 14,000 feet. But you wouldn't want to focus on that when you got out of the car. You want to focus just on your next footstep because you've got a 70-pound pack on your back. And sometimes that's what it feels like, doesn't it? There is so much information out there, so many teachings to the left, to the right, the propaganda that's coming out. But we must stay the course. And that's what Yochanan is saying. Yes, the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahushua, 
That's an old teaching. Yes, saints, there's a new teaching that Yahushua was really a phantom. I know it's exciting, and I know that many have departed from us, and they've gone out after this new, phantasmal, exciting teaching. What's the latest new thing that we can get into that is specifically secret, that I can have secret knowledge, and then people have to come to me, and I will furnish it to them and make them decide after myself. That was the docetism that he was dealing with at his time. And you know what? Many in the community, they had departed from the teaching, the orthodoxy that had been around for decades. And this is the same thing that we are in today. So I don't apologize for spending the time on the Malkizedic message because it is the true gem that enables you to see the phantoms, the ghosts that come in and come out, come in and come out. And I do look around, and I see that there are less people departing as we ascend higher in the faith. Higher. But it's not some mystical work. It's hard work. One foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. Beloved Israel, do not believe every Ruach, but test all of the Ruachim, whether they are of Yahuwah, because many false Nevim prophets have gone out into the Olam Hazer. They've gone out into this world. We live in that day where we see, the, we see that, do we not? Testing the Ruachim, testing the spirits, See what spirit a person manifests. How can you see that? I love to do this. That's why whenever I mick for groups of people, you'll notice I always ask you for what? A confession. I always ask you for a... I don't put the words into your mouth. I ask you for a confession. And over the years, I've heard many strange things back. Because I like to discern. I ask questions because I love to hear what people have to say. You see, by testing the Ruachim, the best way to test the spirits is to ask them in their confession. And we've been doing a lot of that lately here in the ministry. And by their confession, we've discovered fake Jews amongst us. The synagogue of Satan. Even exposed them even. By their confession, we've exposed Karaites. By their confession, we've exposed those that are doing a counterfeit or teaching a counterfeit Malkitzedic message with no book of the law, book of the covenant division. By their confession. This is all testing of the Ruachim, testing of the spirits. And we test against the word of Yahuwah. And then the falsehood is exposed. Because what we're seeing with this nationalistic, as opposed to globalism agenda, is the globalists have bought into the Ashkenazi Zionist Khazar agenda that has been with us for hundreds of years dare I say, thousands of years. The nationalists will be squashed because of the nationalism. 
whether that be nationalists here in America as we come into election season. We have nationalists in the Palestinian occupied territories. You see, because this is what we're dealing with, and they try and crush the voice that cries out against the globalists. What we see with the globalist agenda is they are leading Yahweh's people to a geographic destination of destruction. It's a geographic destination of destruction. You see, I believe that yes, Yahweh, Yahweh himself will send lying spirits. They'll come from Yahweh. He will send them. Yahweh will send the lying spirits to those who've joined with the congregation of the wicked. And what is the congregation of the wicked? That's a synonymous term for the synagogue of Satan. Because he's going to lead the undiscerning masses to their end if it's part of his will to reveal the falling away and the revelation of the man of sin, the son of perdition, a modern-day Ahab. And that's what we're seeing. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells you about this and warns you about this. Melachim Aleph, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 20, it's written. And Yahuwah, he said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramot Gilad? And one said one thing and another, they said another thing. Oh, who do you believe? And there came forward a Ruach, and the Ruach stood before Yahuwah and said, I will entice him. I will entice him. And Yahuwah said to him, in what way? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying Ruach, a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his Nevim, his prophets. And he said, you shall persuade him and prevail also. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, see, Yahuwah has put a lying ruach in the mouth of all these your prophets. But Yahuwah has spoken evil concerning you. You see, to do that, like our author, Yochanan, we have to remain faithful to the message. We have to remain faithful to the message that we heard in better sheet, in the beginning, in the beginning. And you have to ask yourself, any, any scholar worth his salt will confirm that the most consequential message in better sheet is none other than the covenants of promise when Yahuwah made a covenant with Abraham, which is what we are remaining faithful to. In Bereshit. That is the most important message that came out of Bereshit. Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Not the message that we heard from Shemot. It doesn't say that. Stay course on course to the message that you heard from Shemot. Exodus chapter 32 at the golden calf preach. No, it doesn't say that. We must stand fast to the message from the beginning. 
You see, our audience, they had exercised discernment when they came into contact with the secessionists. The secessionists were the groups that believed at the time of this writing that Yahusha was a phantom. The docetics. We'll call them secessionists. And we need to exercise the same discernment today when we come into contact with the pseudo-Jews. We're not dealing with the docetics. We're dealing with the synagogue of Satan. But it's the same lying ruach that's behind it. It's the same political agenda that's behind it. It's the same. There is nothing new under the sun. The names change, right? But it remains the same. The names change, but it remains the same. It's the same spirit. It's a lying spirit that was behind docetism. It's a lying spirit that's behind the fake Jews the synagogue of Satan, that are trying to infiltrate the faith. Oh yes, and yes, the teaching might be exciting and new and ghost-like, but it's not grounded in better sheet. It's coming from Talmud. It's coming from Mishnah. It's coming from maybe a new book. Right? Wrong. We stay grounded and we climb the mountain and they fall. They do not have, what does it take to climb a mountain to ascend to the summit? Endurance. Stamina. Endurance. Do you know how many people get distracted along the way? That we must have the endurance to continue. So, when we come into contact with the synagogue of Satan that are promoting their temple agenda and the pseudo Malkitzedic teachers that are promoting their agenda, they're always promoting something new, but it's not from better sheep, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. It's not the covenants of promise. Because there was no book of the law in Bereshit, was there? There was no book of the law in the beginning. And we must stay in what was revealed to us in the beginning. The book of the law didn't come till much later. But we stay with what's in the beginning. It's our discernment that will guard us against those that are claiming to speak in the name of Yahuwah. And many of them, Brother John, Steve, many of them, are they not exercising a false humility? But you see the emails. You see what's really going on behind the scenes. But when it's up in front of the cameras, oh, it's a false humility. I get the text bombs, okay? Oh, but they'll portray to you, the public, this false, oh, brother, and this false, it's a false humility. It's a lying ruach. At least I'm genuine, and when I get salty and a little irked, I do it all in front of you, and it is what it is. This is it. You know, you get the rough with the smooth. You get the ugly and the handsome. You, you know, it depends. Right? I'd rather be authentic. And I'd rather tell the truth. Because then I don't have to remember what I said. Right? Seriously. Look at verse 2. By this you shall know the Ruach of Yahuwah. Every Ruach that confesses Yahushua HaMashiach has come in the flesh, has 
come from Yahweh. And every Ruach that does not confess that Yahusha HaMashiach has come in the flesh is not from Yahweh. As we've provided tests with the teaching, the synagogue of Satan, that teaching we put out, there were tests contained within that test. And also, as with our author here, he gave tests to his community so that they would be able to expose the docetics. This is what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to equip the saints. Well, yes, they're going to come to you and they're going to yap and yap and yap. We go to the word. Somebody just put like a teaching out about exactly the Khazars and that the state of Israel is really biblical Israel. And I'm like, just give me the scripture. Please show me the scripture where Israel puts his name upon Judah. Where is that scripture? Because the scripture I'm reading is Israel puts his name upon the sons of Joseph. And that they have the right to the name Israel. So what scripture? No, there's no scripture. It's talking heads. Propaganda. Show me the scripture where the garments divided between Judah and Judah. Or do, is it divided between the house of Israel and the house of Judah? And Israel has the name for the what? The blessing. We follow the word and we don't get off course. By this you shall know the Ruach of Yahuwah. So we provide the tests. Because like our author, he provided the tests to the community. And that's what we're to do. Provide tests to the believing community. This was a very common writing in the first century, around the first century, to the believing community. I hope you have it. I have it. Didache. It's the principles of the believing community around the first century. Didache, chapter 11, verse 7, thus written. You will not attempt to interpret what a Navi, a prophet, is saying in the Ruach, for every sin will be forgiven. But this sin will not be forgiven. Not everyone who speaks in the Ruach is a prophet. Not everyone who speaks in the Ruach is a prophet. How many of you coming from the Pentecostal background agree with that? Right? Okay. Not everyone who's thus saith the Lord, my Honda, want to buy a Honda, Shinobi Honda, is speaking from the Ruach, Right? Didn't he just tell me that he's got a deal on a Honda? Yeah. Right? Yes, okay. I just interpreted the tongue. So you've got to be careful, right? But this sin will not be forgiven. Not everyone who speaks in the Ruach is a prophet, but only if he is on the master's road. What road is the master on? He is on a very narrow road, correct? For his roads, the Shekher, the false, and the Nevi, the prophet, will be recognized. If you stay on the narrow path that leads to life, the false prophets will be exposed. Because they cannot traverse, navigate the narrow road. They just can't. They've got to go on the broad road where the globalists are. Okay? Everything they do will push for a globalist agenda. State of Israel, Zionism, Washington, D.C., politics, Hillary, all of this stuff, okay? It's all going to push for this globalistic agenda. So we start to see 
The globalist agenda, of course, is the New World Order, the Zionist temple, animal sacrifices, a Levitical priesthood. You know, Ashkenazi up the Ashkenazi. I mean, everywhere you're going, this globalist agenda is being thrust at us. And we're Bible students. And you're like, get your globalism out of my scriptures, please. I'm a nationalist after Yahusha. This is what we're supposed to be. And we continue on. We continue on. Because it says, for his roads, the narrow roads, the shekhir, the false, and the prophet will be recognized. You stay on the narrow road, you will see the false prophets. Because you'll have the discernment. And no nevi, no prophet, when he orders a table in the ruach, will eat from it. If it is so happens, he is a shekhir navi. He's a false prophet. What does that mean? No prophet, if he orders the table, is going to eat from it. If he does order the table and eat from it, he's a false prophet. What does that mean? You don't give a self-serving prophecy. A self-serving prophecy, you set the table and then you eat from it. That's showing that you are a false prophet. How many of these self-serving, thus saith the Lord, I, th- I mean, my good, because they try and steer you. They try and steer you with their false prophecy to get you where they want to go. It's a self-serving prophecy. Self-serving prophecies are false prophecies. That's how we're able to discern. I can't tell you the mail that I get, the phone calls, the voicemails, the texts. And my wife and I, last night, we were watching and we're like, you can just ping, 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 self-serving, trying to maneuver us into a position. Manipulation. You've got to be so discerning. So discerning. You truly do. Then, every Ruach that confesses that Yahushua HaMashiach has come in the flesh is from Yahuwah. That was then. But now, today, this is what we're dealing with. Every Ruach that confesses that Yahushua HaMashiach has come as high priest in the flesh and has come and has come within an ordained order of the priesthood in the flesh here on earth is of Yahweh. But they won't confess that. They won't confess. Oh, no, his priesthood hasn't come in the flesh today. Oh, no, no, no. In fact, you know, we've got a division of priesthoods. Well, well you've right there exposed yourself because you're on the broad globalistic road. Every Ruach that confesses that Yahushua HaMashiach has come as high priest in the flesh and has ordained an order of priesthood in the flesh here on earth is from Yahuwah. There's your test. There's your test. You see, they have seceded from us and gone out into the world. Then they were docetists. But today, they are Messianic, pseudo-Jews, Zionists, Khazars, Karaites, Ashkenazi, or just plain pagan syncretism and lawless. And you can see, departed from the faith, these broad roads on either side of a narrow road that leads to life. 
And they're all working together with the government and the new world order. All working together. They all have an affinity with the unbelieving world. How can you prop up the state of Israel and be a believer? Because you have an affinity with the unbelieving world. And you can't say, well, my brother Judah, who is your brother? Because I've got brothers in the flesh, but my brothers and my sisters are those that are at the feet of them. Who is your brother? Are you telling me your brother is someone that believes that Yahushua should be boiled in hot excrement? That's not my brother. You see, so they expose themselves by the very agenda. Because it's, oh, well, our brother Judah. Well, hang on a minute. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But we have to be so careful because in, I like verse 3. There's a variant reading on verse 3. Every ruach that looses, separates, or divides Yahusha is not from Yahuwah. I like that. That's a variant reading on verse 3. Every ruach that looses, separates, or divides Yahusha is not from Yahuwah. Meaning, don't try and divide up Yahusha's priesthood with a Levitical one as if there's a need for a divided priesthood like in the days of the kingdom rebellion under David. So Yahushua has got us no further than the rebellion that was under King David. Is that your testimony? Because that's not my testimony. Yahushua has got us a whole lot further than the, de- the kingdom of David. Because your testimony is that Yahushua has got us no further than when David was a king on earth. If you're saying that we have a divided kingdom and we have a divided priesthood, that's what they're saying. But you have to be on the narrow road to listen. Just listen to what they're saying. They're not saying it outright, but by their words, they condemn themselves. Under King David, you had a divided priesthood. Under Yahushua, you have a united priesthood. And it is here on earth with his people. He left and he gave you a guarantee within you to empower you. You see, I love empowering people. I love building people up. I love that we have an internet audience that loves research tools and digs in. And if you come with some variant weird thing, just bring it to us, we'll put it up, and our congregation online will tear it apart with their studying tools. That's what I love. You know? Because that's what we should be doing. You should be encouraging people, not trying to push them down, not trying to push them down and put them in a religious box. We can't divide up Yahushua's priesthood with a Levitical one, like there was in the kingdom rebellion under David. No, we have an indivisible Yahushua, don't we? We have an indivisible priesthood, and we have an indivisible covenant. We don't have a synonymous law and covenant espoused by those that departed on a variant way. Because that was the phantasmal kind of docetism that they were dealing with back in the day. 
there was at that time the docetism of Serinthius. Now, Serinthius, he believed that Mashiach was only manifested, the Messiah was only manifested at the beginning at Yahushua's ministry when he entered the Messiah spirit. The anointing entered into Yahushua only at Mikvah. He wasn't really the anointed. He didn't have a clue. In fact, what, 15 years ago, like a Christian movie came out, a Christian Jesus movie came out. Maybe it was 20 years ago. And it was like, Jesus didn't have a clue who he was. He didn't have a bloody clue who he was until the baptism. Oh, right. And this was a Christian movie. It was a Christian Jesus. And I was, I was a new believer. And we were around my in-law's house, right? We looked at each other. We're gone. No way. That's docetism. That was the docetism of Serinthius that was being propagated in the 20th century by the mainline Christianity. And there's all these Christians at Calvary Chapel. Oh, did you see the new Jesus movie? Oh, it was phenomenal. And I'm like, oh my goodness, these people have got no discernment. My Ruach wouldn't let me sit past that baptismal section. Because that is exactly what Serinthus said. He didn't know he was the Messiah until the Spirit came upon him. Entered into him at mikvah. And then guess what? The Spirit. Well, if it could enter into him that easy, might as well just depart before things get hard, right? Well, yes, that's what Serinthus said. Well, right before he was going up there on the tree, pitching. Off the spirit went, and he was just a normal man. That was the docetism of Serinthus that was being propagated to the audience that Yochanan was up against that. But then there was another kind of docetism, and that was the docetism of Basilides. Basilides, he taught like what Simon of Cyrene was actually forced to bear Yahushua's crossbeam, but like I said, he was miraculously, Simon of Cyrene, miraculously transformed into Yahushua's likeness. And so, it was a mistake. He was accidentally crucified instead of Yahushua. <laughs> Fancy that. <laughs> Bloody Henry, really? Are you that, I mean, really? Are you that deceived? The stuff that they were falling for. And today, it's no different. Right, brother? No different. We're like, really? You can't see through that? Simon of Cyrene? It was an accident? Well, Basilides, he had a whole sect that was following his teachings that the author was dealing with, that form of docetism. Well, then if... Basilides was true, then it only appeared that Moshiach suffered. He didn't really suffer. This was the docetism that Yochanan was dealing with. Look at verse 3. 
And this is the Ruach that the anti-Moshiach, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the Olam Hazer, this world. You see, a distinction is made between the great anti-Moshiach figure who will appear atop of the Anatonia fortress, some call it the Temple Mount, and the lesser anti-Moshiach figures who will be paving his way there with their variant teachings. And that's what we're seeing Within the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement, the lesser anti-Moshiach figures, they are paving the way with their teachings for the great final anti-Moshiach or Moshiach Neged who will appear on the Anatonia Fortress, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You see, we're seeing that influence already being felt today, just as the influence of Basilides and the influence of Serinthus was being felt within Yochanan's day. I'm telling you, we are living like in a parallel universe. Oh yeah, the names change, but you're dealing with the same lying spirits and the same globalistic agenda. And you don't think they were voting for a new governor to come in? <laughs> Give me a break. I mean, are you going to watch? Are we going to watch? Are we going to watch on Monday night? Is, she, is Hillary Clinton, is she going to make 90 minutes? I mean, really? Not, not, do you reckon she can stand up for 90 minutes before her throat rot? <laughs> Bloody Henry, what are they pumping that woman? I think she is the Nephilim. <laughs> I mean, talk about coughing up a lung, right? I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be like a Tyson fight back in the 90s, you know? <laughs> All right? Seriously. Monday night, I got to I got to make sure I watch it for sure. I don't think she's going to go f I don't make think she's going to make four rounds. I really don't. My goodness. But we need to make a distinction between these lesser anti-Moshiachs, Moshiach Neged, and the ultimate great Moshiach Neged. You see, verse 3 actually reflects this already not yet distinction that I spoke about last week. You see, because there's this tension between this already and not yet of this private and um, how could I say it? The spirit that was really permeating the believers that Yochanan had in his community. And they, they, they were departing from the faith. And he was so genuinely concerned because they were not understanding what they were up against. They weren't understanding the docetism and how it had infiltrated the faith. You see, the secessionists, they were identified as the anti-Moshiachs who'd already gone out into the world. They were like little anti-Moshiachs, little Moshiach Negeds. But they were activated by the spirit of the great Moshiach Neged, anti-Messiah. You've got all these little anti-Messiah spirits that are activated by the same lying spirit of the great anti-Messiah. And that's what the secessionists were that were going out into the believing community. You see, evil reveals itself in false teaching. 
That's how evil reveals itself. Look at verse 4. You are of Yahweh, little children, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the Olam Hazet. Don't we love that verse? I love that verse. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. I mean, truly, I love that verse. Our spiritual security isn't dependent upon phantasmal, weird, esoteric teachings. Our spiritual security isn't even dependent upon how good we are in the language. I love getting into the Hebrew language. I loved, a decade ago, I was really into paleo. And then I laid it down. I mean, I still like it. I'm not as good as I once was because you really have to keep up on that stuff. But my spiritual security isn't dependent upon how good I am at paleo, how good I am at gematria. It's not even as dependent upon how familiar I am with the Strong's Dictionary Concordance. It's certainly not dependent upon the Talmud. It's certainly not dependent upon temple traditions. But conversely, it is utterly, utterly dependent upon Yahweh's work within me. That's what my spiritual security is dependent upon. Yahweh's work within me by His Ruach. You see, their teachings were shaped by worldly categories. Therefore, they're acceptable by those still entrapped by the world. They're entrapped geopolitically. They're entrapped religiously. And they're entrapped doctrinally. Look at verse 5. They are from the Olam Hazer. They're from this world. They're entrapped in this world still. They're entrapped in this New World Order agenda. They can't see the wood for the trees. They're even reading the scriptures through this world's politics. They look at Israel in the Bible, and they look at the state of Israel. They're so entrapped in the world, they can't distinguish the two. Israel only has the right to be called Israel when the sons of Joseph are given the name and all 12 tribes live in the land. If you've got one tribe living in the land, it was never called Israel. It was always called Judah. And Shem, where are the descendants of Shem? Because Ashkenaz isn't. So when you've got Ashkenazi living in the land of Israel, you look to your scriptures and you go, that is the politics of the day, but it's not the scripture of Yahuwah. You see, but they're so entrapped in the world that they can't discern geopolitically, religiously, or doctrinally. They are from the world. Verse 5. Therefore they speak from this world. Verse 5. And the Olam Hazer, the world, it hears them because it's a familiar message. And that's exactly it. This is exactly exposes the docetics, docetism, excuse me, of the first century, and it exposes the synagogue of Satan in the 21st century. 
They are from the world. Therefore, they speak the world's message geopolitically. And guess what? The world gives them a platform because they endorse it and support it. The Ashkenazi will love it. They'll post Ashkenazi things on their websites because it's all part of the world agenda. Globalism. Globalism. They'll have you voting for Hillary as well. They will. They'll try. (laughs) They'll have you hating. I mean, with a vengeance, they'll have you hating Palestinians. They'll have you hating Islam and Muslims. I mean, hating. When the Bible tells us something different. Oh, yes, there is only one true Elohim. And he's not the moon god, sin. We know that. But we don't go around hating a racial group of people because they're not allowing you to build your Zionistic kingdom. You don't keep a people entrapped in slave camps for 70 years. That's just not right. Where's your humanity? You don't laugh. When Palestinian children are being blown up, you don't laugh and post it and mock when houses are being bulldozed. Where's your humanity? Are you that Zionistic that you've lost your humanity? This is what I wonder because there are a lot more Palestinians coming to embrace Yahusha as Messiah than Talmudic Jews. Look at the demographics. Look at the demographics. Where are his people? Who is your brother? Who is your mother? Who is your sister? But the world hears their message because they are of the world. And they speak the world's language. Verse 5. You see, the role of the Ruach is so important to us today, is it not? Look at the role of the Ruach in the fourth, fourth gospel, excuse me, of Yochanan. You see, Yahusha is ordained as Malkizedek Kohen Haggadol by Yochanan Hamatbil. That's a mouthful for you. Did anyone just track what I said? Some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm right there with you. Jesus, he was ordained as the, how did we used to say it back in the church? Jesus was ordained as the Mel, I can't even say it that way anyway, the the. The Melchizedek, the Milky Kizim, the Milky Way. The Mel- Jesus was ordained as the Melchizedek. Be careful. In his role as high priest by John the Baptist and the Holy Ghost descended upon him. So it does not sound familiar to me anymore. The, the first way worked. Yahushua is ordained as the Malkizedek Kohen Haggadal by Yochanan Hamat Beal. I'm sticking with it, and we're going on from there. And the Ruach descended, <laughs> distinguishing Yahushua from Moshe, distinguishing Yahushua from the prophets. And why? Because the Ruach, the Spirit, sporadically came upon Moses. The Spirit sporadically came upon the prophets. 
correct, but not with Yahusha. The Spirit indwelt him and inspired him to prophecy and move in the direction of the anointing. It wasn't a sporadic indwelling anymore, but it was an overcoming immersion by mikvah. Immersion. You see, Yochanan, John the Immerser, mikvahed by water and with water, but Yahusha mikvahed with the Ruach. That's why the Spirit is so important. John chapter 1, verse 33. Yahusha's message is thus authenticated because the Father has given him the Ruach without measure. The prophets, they had the Spirit measured. Moses. He got the Spirit, but it was measured. But when Yahushua got the Spirit, it was without measure. And that's what distinguishes Yahushua from the prophets. That's what distinguishes Yahushua from Moses even. And that is what distinguishes us. Because the Spirit is not supposed to be measured upon the children of Yahuwah. It is without measure. By this we know the Ruach of truth, the spirit of truth, and the Ruach, the spirit of error. You see, the Ruach, the spirit of error, will lead you one way, and the Ruach, the spirit of truth, will lead you another. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 21. I love this text. Yahushua said to the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, the hour comes, and you shall neither in this mountain... Or at Yerushalayim, worship the Abba. Verse 22. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Yahudim, the Jews. But the hour comes, verse 23, and now is, when the Emet, the true worshippers, shall worship the Abba in Ruach and Emet. Spirit and truth. For the Abba, the Father, seeks such to worship him. Elohim is Ruach. Elohim is spirit. And they that worship him, they must worship him in Ruach and Emet, spirit and truth. You see, you, you, me, we don't worship on Mount Gerizim. We don't worship on the Anatonia Fortress. Those that will don't realize that they will be bowing down to the synagogue of Satan and the globalists. We know what we worship because salvation came through a Jew. Not an Ashkenazi, not a Khazar, but salvation came through Yahuda, a Yahudi, Yahusha teaching his priesthood to worship him in Ruach and Emet, not in error, generationally, and like you see, geographically in deceit. Because they'll have you worshipping up in Jerusalem on the Anatonia Fortress. Or they'll just have you going up to the Sanhedrin up on Mount Gerizim. Because you can go up there right now and get some flat boards and some fire and throw a couple of chickens on there, Yom Kippur. And there's your sacrifice. Swing them around your head. Away you go. Right now. You can do a tour if you pay enough shekels. 
Seriously. You see, we don't worship at Mount Gerizim, and we don't worship at the Anatonia Fortress, because the Ruach is our advocate in this hostile world. And I'm thankful we have an advocate in this hostile world. Otherwise, how could we discern where we're going? We have to have the Ruach to be our advocate. Because like our audience with the secessionists, nothing we need to know about these matters can be learned from those who departed from us and turned their back on Yahushua's priesthood. They turned their back on Yahushua's priesthood with their faces because their faces are set like flint towards the apostate end-time priesthood upon the Anatonia Fortress, the Temple Mount. Everything that you and I need to know has been taught by the Ruach, and you receive it through the Ruach. Even Einstein said, if you can't teach it to a six-year-old, you don't know it yourself. You don't. It's not that hard. If you can't teach it to a six-year-old, you don't know it yourself. And all of this stuff that's out there, you can't teach it to a six-year-old. But you can teach the Malkitzedic message of redemption, the book of the law, and the book of the covenant division at the golden calf breach. And the children, they get it. It makes sense, Genesis 12 to 15, all the way through. You can track it throughout Scripture, and then it's reinforced in the book of Hebrews and in Galatians for you. Because it's truth. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For Ahava, love is from Yahuwah, and everyone who has Ahava, love is born from Yahuwah, and they know Yahuwah. He who does not have Yahuwah, he who does not have Ahava, excuse me, does not know Yahuwah, for Yahuwah is Ahava, love. You see, the command to love one another is rooted in the character of Yahuwah as love and in Yahuwah's love towards believers, demonstrated how? His love is communicated because it was demonstrated in the sending of his son as the atonement for sin. Because of love's root in the son, true love frees you from fear of judgment. Because love is truly rooted in the son, true love frees you from the fear of judgment and punishment. Because Elohim has appeared to those he loves through his son. So when you come to Yom Kippur, you have to come to Yom Kippur through the love of the son that changes how you observe Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, all these Hebrew words today, Yom Kippur in the son you are freed from fear and judgment. And that changes Yom Kippur for you. You cannot approach Yom Kippur the way the atheistic Jew does. Because the atheistic Jew is in fear of punishment and judgment, as you should be if you have not embraced the Son. But if you've embraced the Son, His love frees you from that judgment 
frees you from that fear so that you can observe the Moadim, how they are meant to be observed. Yom Kippur is a time of introspection and praying for those in the community that are still under oppression, need deliverance, and need to be ministered to. It's a time of introspection in your own life, but it is not a time of fear and judgment. That's why we observe it differently in the faith community. Look at verse 9. And this is the Ahava, the love of Yahuwah, was manifested toward us, that Yahuwah has sent his only begotten son into the Olam Hazer, this world, that we might live through him. In this is found that Ahava, love. Not that we loved Yahuwah, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the keporah, the covering for our sins. Now in the Greek here, ton monogene, ton monogene, one and only son. And it's found nine times that term in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Testament. Three times we find it in Luke. Once to describe the widow of Nain's one and only son. Ton monogene, Luke chapter 7, verse 12. Once we find it again to describe the one and only daughter of Jarius. Remember Jarius? Luke chapter 8, verse 42. And once we find it to describe the one and only son of the man who came to Yahushua with his demon-possessed. Son in Luke chapter 9, verse 38. In Hebrews, we find it used in reference to Isaac, ton monogene, one and only, because ultimately it means someone who is in dire need. Ton monogene, someone who is in dire need that is threatened, or someone who has died. So now we understand what it means in relation to the beloved son, the one and only son who was threatened, who was in dire need, and ultimately died for you and I. Ton monogene. In the Septuagint, in Psalm 22, verse 20, when they part the Malkitzedic garments of the high priest without tearing them, in verse 18 it says, They part my garments among them, and they cast lots for my raiment. But be not far from me, O Yahuwah. O my strength, make haste to help me. I mean, you can see right here, Someone is in, in dire need, are they not? You can see that somebody is in threatened here in Psalm 22. And we know that that someone is going to die. Because this, of course, is a prophetic psalm about the son, the beloved son, Yahushua. And he says, deliver my being from the sword, my only ton monogene, my only chayim, life, from the power of the dog. You see, because that was the son's walk, was it not? In Psalm 35, and of course the context of Psalm 35 is, I am your Yahushua. I am your salvation. Let them, verse 4, 
be ashamed and put to shame that seek after my being. He's being threatened again, right? Being threatened again. And in verse 17, we find the ton monogeny. Rescue my precious life. So this ton monogeny, one and only son, is always within the context of dire need, of being threatened, and eventually he's dying for us. Isn't that powerful? You see, the Septuagint translates the Hebrew word yachid, uniquely beloved, into monogene. Verse 11, beloved, if Yahuwah so loved us, we should love one another. No one has seen Yahuwah at any time. If we love one another, Yahuwah stays in us. And his ahava, his love, is perfected in us. And that's what our walk is about. Yahweh's love being perfected in us. We stay in Him, we abide in Him, and He abides in us. And His love is perfected in us, in our marriages, in our relationships with our friends, and with our community of faith family. Verse 13. By this we know that we stay in Him, and He is in us. Because He has given to us from his Ruach. And we have seen and testified that the Abba has sent the Son as Savior of the Olam Hazer, this world. He is our atonement. In the Hebrew, Kippurim. In the Greek, he is our Helasmos, our atonement. Verse 15 now. Whoever confesses that Yahusha is the Son of Yahuwah, Yahuwah stays in him. And he in Yahuwah. And we have known and believed that the Ahava, the love that Yahuwah has for us, Yahuwah is Ahava. He is love. And he who stays in Ahava, love, stays in Yahuwah. And Yahuwah in him. You see, the author isn't afraid to repeatedly allude to the secessionist teaching. He's not afraid. He repeatedly alludes to what these secessionists are up to. He brings to attention all that the secessionists have denied, all that his audience should affirm, all that his audience should avoid. The author continually brings it to their attention. And we should endeavor today to do the same thing. And I, like I said, I'm not going to buy into this keep the peace mentality because you're afraid to run the risk of exposing falsehood because of a fear of this liberal backlash. Oh, that's not very loving. Why? Because I exposed the synagogue of Satan and they're lying to you? No, you don't scale back. Once you set your hand to the plow, you do not look back. Because you're not even fit for the kingdom if you do. So you just set your hand to the plow and you keep on going. Verse 17. Ahava, love has been perfected among us in this way. That we may have a boldness in the Yom Hadin. We can be bold in the day of judgment. If you don't know Yahusha, you don't have that boldness. But we can be bold... Because we're in him in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the Olam Hazer, this world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. 
But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. But he who fears punishment has not been made perfect in Ahava. You know what's really scary to the heathen? Oh, you commit suicide because you decide that you want to opt out. You want to know what's really scary to the heathen? You're all going to be resurrected. Even if you don't believe in the Messiah, even if you don't believe in resurrection, every one of us is going to be resurrected. So by you committing suicide, that didn't do anything for you because you're still going to have to live. You're either going to be resurrected to judgment or you're going to be resurrected to life. But these heathen, well, you know, I'm going to die, and you know, it's all over. Oh, no, you're going to be raised up. The message of the resurrection is life, or it is a terror, depending on where you're at. To us, it is the hope that is within us. But to the heathen, that's a message of fear. Oh, you know, you just live your life and then it's all over. It's done, you know, you're not going to remember anything. You just disappear. No, you're going to be raised again to glory or to judgment. That's a message. That's a message. Do you really not want to make the right choice? Because we're all going to be raised up. But he who fears punishment, they fear it because... Why? Punishment has not been made perfect in love. Now, verses 17 and 18 to finish, they contain the third and fourth references to the unmitigated love for Yahweh that's found in this epistle, Yochanan Olive. The first is found in chapter 2, verse 5. Love is experienced in obedience to the commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you look in chapter 2, verse 5, you can see love is expressed in Torah obedience. The second is in chapter 4, verse 12. Love is made complete in community and in the community of believers when we love one another. Now, the third and fourth are found here in verses 17 and 18. You see, When love is completed, it's work in believers. When we can face the day of judgment without fear, then, when, then love is completed in the work of believers. When we can face the day of judgment without fear, that's when love is completed. And I look back on my life, I didn't know how to love. Oh, I knew how to lust. I thought that was love, but it was just lust. But now as a believer, I understand love. You can't understand love unless you have the Ruach in you because you've accepted the Son. Because perfect love casts out fear of the day of judgment. Then you can actually love your wife. 
then you can actually love your husband and you can love your children and you can love people because you're not in fear of the day of judgment. You're not in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Love is perfected and fear is banished when you accept the Savior. It truly is. It truly is. Fear is the biggest inhibitor to human loving. It's fear. Fear is the biggest inhibitor to human loving. Those of you that work in the prisons, those of you that go to the... You you can see it. It's the biggest inhibitor to human loving because people are afraid that their love, that it won't be reciprocated. They're just afraid that their love won't be reciprocated. But there is no such inhibitor when it comes to Yahuwah's love. His love precedes our response in the death of his one and only son. And that's power. That is powerful to heal a broken life. That does release the chains of bondage, does it not? It's the only key that does. It is the only key that can release these chains of bondage in these days. Finishing up, if someone says, I love Yahweh and hates his brother, he is a lying mama. All right, I added there a little bit. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love Yahweh whom he has not seen? And this mitzvah, this good work we have found from him, that he who loves Yahweh must love his Israelite brother also. And that's the faith that was once delivered to the saints, that we are truly, truly seeking diligently to walk out in our lives. And I am just blessed to be amongst the community of believers and see that fruit today. Questions, comments at all? Brother Steve in the back, yes. Okay, we have three. Um, I have the first one is uh, verse 20 and 21. It says, we must love our brother or we are liars. What does brother mean in this context? It's talking about your Israelite brother within the community of faith. Because who is your brother? Who is is your brother? So again, the globalism, love, love, love. It doesn't mean that you're a hater, but the love is for your family, your brother, because you truly cannot have an affinity with somebody that does not love the son. They're not truly your brother. And we have to understand that the faith calls us to embrace the brotherhood of the community. Question. Is voting scriptural? Are we slapping Yahushua in the face by voting for an earthly king? Are we? Oh, that's an excellent question. (laughs) Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? Is voting scriptural? No. It's nationalistic from this nation or democratic nations. There's a balance to be in the world, but not of the world. That's a tough one. It really is. I mean, the Jehovah Witnesses, I don't believe they vote, right? But, you know, that's not a good example to follow, is it? Crying out, blimmin' loud. 
If you do vote. I believe it says in Genesis that if uh, you do vote for a king, you will vote for a king. He says, he says it to the Israelites when they come out of Egypt, saying that they will vote for a king. But when you do, he has to be one of your brethren, a fellow Israelite. And he also has to not have many horses. Yeah. He can't have many wives. <laughs> yeah, but, but you see, that's in the context of the Israelite community. We're in the exile, we're in the nations, and we live under the hammer of Rome. Paid your, ta your taxes to Caesar, and, you know, so there is a balance there. I personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with voting. I really don't at all. Um, think there's anything wrong with voting. I don't think there's anything wrong with not voting because you understand that it's, you're in the world but not of the world. So I think we have to be careful not to take those scriptures that are talking about a sovereign biblical nation and then transpose them to this exiled diaspora that we're living in today. I mean, we, we have to be the voice of change. How are we going to affect change if we sit by on the sidelines? We should be raising up our children in the hopes that they will be the next governor so that we can infiltrate from within because now we are the recipients of all the Woodstock hippies that are now at the top because they sat around at Woodstock and said, hey, how are we going to change things? Well, let's go to college, educate ourselves, become lawyers, and infiltrate their ranks from the bottom and work up. And now we're recipients of that. So the only way we're going to have a renaissance is by, as believers, infiltrating the world with our beliefs and being salt and light. So therefore, we should vote. Um, or not, if you don't want to. <laughs> okay. Me and my wife has debated that for quite a few years about who to vote for and, and why we should vote. We always come to the determination of, well, we'll vote for the lesser of two evils. But coming right down to it, now we get to looking at Romans, the 13th chapter. And this is something in the Christian church. They teach you we're supposed to be under all the authority of the government. We're supposed to respect those above us. But let's read what the Word says because we skip over that real easily. Let every being be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from Elohim. And the authorities that exist are appointed by Elohim. Would you say that the ones running for office now are appointed from Elohim? I don't think so. Being a child of Yahuwah, I have no business voting for any evil. If they're not teaching Torah to my children and bringing Torah into the nation, I will not support them. The only authority I have over me is my Yahuwah. So you won't vote this year? I will not vote okay. at all. Well, that's, that, that, see, that's your interpretation. That's my personal belief. Okay, yes, okay. And I understand that, and that's why this is a great question. It really is. But then, then the part, the fighting part of me, it's like, well, how are we going to get change unless we infiltrate, unless we, we, we move the change ourselves? We've got to be active. We've got to be active. So, therefore, that part of me is like, I'm not going to sit back and, and just let them, because if we do nothing... 
we've got to be salt, we've got to be light. So then that part of me is, I want to affect the change, you know? And I can't, I understand that my, my belief system and my faith is scripturally based, but I also understand that, you know, if I get a parking ticket, that I, I have a, an obligation to go do something about it. I can pay it, or I can go in front of the judge and argue it. I usually choose the latter. But you've got to do something. You've got to do something because that's the system that we're in. So, huh? Or I could film the police. That one did not work out too well for me. But I did make a couple of friends. So, yeah, but I understand what you're saying, and I'm with you. But then I'm also with the person that's like, yes, I'm voting because... I'm hoping that we're going to have a renaissance. We're going to have a change. And right now, when we do see a huge dichotomy between the two um, parties right now, we've got a sold-out globalist with a throat rotting out because just lies entrenched. And then you do have somebody that actually loved, you know, you have a classic American, right? A nationalist, right? No, you know, but that's what I'm saying. Jacob, what were you going to say, brother? That was. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, is your but you know, those of us that um, you know send a bill off every month to AT and T. I mean, do I have an obligation now to switch to Horizon because AT and Verizon, AT and T are funding X, Y, and Z? But we, I mean, if you start to look into the court, you're going to have to switch your electric server because do you know what they're funding? So, uh, I mean, my goodness, your f iPhone, how many, how many people have, have been enslaved to get the minerals to put together that phone or in China? I mean, so if you start to get, go like that, you've got to be equal weights and measures, and across the board, it's never-ending. I don't know. These are not easy questions to answer. Yes. Okay, as we look at the bigger picture, Yahushua is going to come with, with the government. Once he comes as judgment and he brings the government upon his shoulders, that's what we're looking for. But as of right now, we are to be walking in the Melchizedek in that priestly order and growing up. And that is being, I mean, we're his legs, we're his arms, we're his eyes, we're his mouth, we're his voice. And so by doing that, and being part of what our walk is, that is doing something. And it's not agreeing with what they're throwing at us to be part of that because it's like, I think what Jake just said, that he, he voted for somebody and as it turned out, they did something and he felt like he was part of that. And well, our conviction was is if we vote for them, then whatever they do in their office we are in agreement with yeah, from, yeah, yeah. from one to A to Z. 
These are these are great. Uh, yeah, good, good, good talk, good debate. We can talk about. Uh, this I shared more. this yes. with John. Um, yes. But uh, it's Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, and it says, "This is after he resurrected, and Yeshua, yeah, Yahusha, drew near and spoke with them and said to them, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, and as my Father has sent me, I send you.'" We are indeed ambassadors of that kingdom. We are. be that salt and light. Amen. Amen. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Abba, we thank you. Abba, give us wisdom. Let us be as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves, to be able to discern the times. Abba, by your ruach, guide us to vote or not to devote. That be the question of the hour. But Abba, these are serious questions. Abba, as we do have a responsibility to act... But we also, above all and for all, are responsible for our choices before you, Yahweh, and the consequences thus. Abba, we ask to guide us, that you would guide us by your Ruach. We thank you, Abba, for the community of faith. I thank you, Abba, for your Shabbats and your Moedim that are truly markers in our life. Markers in our life, Abba, of your sovereignty as we come into your Sabbaths, your Moedims, this seventh month of feasts and festivals. Abba, we thank you in Yahusha's mighty name. Amen. Amen.